0: To the Project Zion Podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts community of Christ offers for today's world.
1: Hello and welcome to Project Zion Podcast. Today we're here with David Nei who will be ordained an apostle in community of Christ at our upcoming World conference this April. 2019. And that ordination will take place on the evening of April 9th. Welcome, Dave. We're really glad to have you with us today.
2: Well, good to be here. Thanks, Robin.
1: Let's start off with just a little introduction of yourself to our listeners so they can get a basic idea of where you are and what you're doing.
2: Well, um, I live in the Denver, Colorado area uh, with my wife, Pam, and we've been here for a long time over 25 years uh, and we have two adult children. Our daughter is married and uh, our son is in a long-term relationship and all of them live here in the Denver, Colorado area. So we're fortunate to have them nearby and especially, um, with our daughter's daughter, our three year one and only grandchild, a three year old granddaughter, uh, Madeline, who also near lives nearby. So, uh, uh, it's, life is pretty good in, in uh, Denver, Colorado area, and uh, I, I've been fortunate also that uh, I've served as a full-time minister uh, in Community of Christ since 1996, and I've had the rare privilege of not needing to move during any of those years, and uh, so that's also been very nice. We love it here in Colorado.
1: Colorado is a good place to be. Dave, today we really want to get to know you, and I would love it if you would start with where you were born and kind of take us up through your high school years. Where did you grow up? What was it like for you and your family and in your community? And just kind of tell us some of the things that were of interest to you in that time of your life, including God and faith.
2: Well, um, my whole life has been connected to our uh, peculiar uh, faith tradition here, of formerly the RLDS Church. My whole life has been uh, involved with church life. Uh, my parents became connected with our church at very young ages in Hawaii, and they met uh, at a district conference. My mother um, grew up in the big city of Honolulu and My dad um, grew up in a small town near Pahoa on the Big Island and uh, both uh, separately became connected with uh, church elders. And uh, then in their early 20s, mid 20s, they met at a district conference and uh, Mm -hmm. were married um, within a year. Uh, And they spent their entire adult lives um, uh, working in the church. And uh, so as my sisters and I grew up, um, being a part of this faith community is just so integrated into who I am and who I, um, who my family was as I was growing up. Uh, well, and as I became a teenager, it was not uncommon in those days for um, teens to be called to serve in priesthood. And unfortunately, at that time, it, they were all male. They were all Um, boys not girls and so I was one of those that was uh, called to serve in priesthood as a teenager and uh, so that is another way in which my life just became um, enmeshed in um, working in a faith community as well in leadership roles as well as being involved in the normal things that uh, uh, many teenagers are involved with so uh, I played the piano and, and played in a garage band uh, and uh, playing the guitar and played basketball and baseball and um, active in community and school activities. Uh, but in the middle of all of those other activities, um, uh, being connected with our home, my home congregation was also a very important part of my um, growing up years.
1: So, Dave, in the context of your home congregation growing up, what was that congregation like? Did you have a lot of other kids and families in that group? Uh,
2: yeah, so my home congregation was Hilo, Hawaii. And, um, you know, at the time as a teenager, I thought, oh my gosh, we're such a small um, youth group. There were only five of us. You we know? <laughs> <And I didn't laughs> have a uh, congregation in today's world with. Five active youth. Um, and, and most of the RLDS uh, members were on the island of Oahu, which was um, not the island that I grew up on, on the big island. Um, so uh, there was a bit of feeling a little um, isolated, but, but yet our congregation was um, like a lot of congregations where The sense of belonging was very important in several key families, and my family was one of them. Uh, My dad served as pastor on and off again for most of the years that I was growing up. Uh, And and the amusing thing, you know, uh, uh, when I reflect back on my growing up years, I got to meet a lot of church officials. And I thought everybody had that opportunity. (laughs) I was a young adult that I realized... (laughs) Maybe living on in Hawaii kind of played a part in why I got to meet so many church officials. That seemed to be a nice a landing spot uh, for for many uh, leaders in our church to to um, uh, visit, and so that was one part of being uh, my growing up years in our church that was very helpful. But my congregation was like many typical congregations, a small group. A very dedicated people that uh, tried to live out their understanding our understanding of, of being a faith community and and that's been very important for me to reflect on in my adult years uh because I still remember many of the the um very solid people solid adults that surrounded me as a youngster and as a teenager uh, as I was growing up so that I I really felt fortunate to have that as a background uh, in my adult life, working um, both as a bivocational minister and also as a full-time minister.
1: Were you able to participate in the church's camping program? Was that available?
2: Uh, Well, um, there were a couple of events that uh, I only went to one youth camp as, as a teen, and that was when, um, uh, Everett Graffio was the appointee at that time and, and, uh, he brought the youth group from Honolulu over to the Big Island. And I got to participate in, in, um, that activity. And that was one of the very formative experiences for me as well, seeing that, um, you know, the, the old youth group of five of us, um, really was connected with something much larger. I think there were something like 75 youth at that youth camp uh, on the big Island. And, uh, um, it's, it's interesting. I've run across, uh, several of those, um, youth over the years, um, in, in various different cir- circumstances. And, uh, uh, that was a very important part. I get an important event, I guess, um, in addition to the small reunions that we had on the big island. Um, But as far as youth um, activities or youth programs, it was primarily the five of us that uh, Mm. hung out together and tried to do things. And then um, that one year in which I had the opportunity to meet with a lot larger circle of of teenagers uh, that connected with our church at that time.
1: So when I... You graduated from high school and you're getting ready to uh, take off into the next chapters of life, uh, college, career, family, and your ministry. You were already ordained as a teen. Tell us what came next.
2: Well, I, I went to school and I went to college in California to study engineering um, in the mid to late 70s. Uh, um, the United States was in this big upheaval about uh, the Arab oil embargo and and trying to find uh, energy for um you know the future uh and I remember um you know when I first got my driver's license needing to sit in my car in long gasoline lines and and uh, so that was all a part of me wanting to to do something positive uh, not only for myself and my career but for um, society as a whole. So I went to school to study engineering. and when I graduated, I uh, ended up staying in California working in the oil industry. Uh, and and uh, that, that was also a good experience in Bakersfield, California and and it was there in that Central valley of California where um, I met um, Pam, who's my spouse. Uh, at, a, at a church district conference, very similar to my parents' meeting at a church function. Um, Pam comes from a family also very, very deeply involved in the RLDS faith tradition, um, and so that seemed to be a pretty nice fit uh, in in our backgrounds as well as uh, what we hope to do as a couple going into the future. Um, so we were married not quite as quickly as my parents were after they, <laughs> we did, um, get married within a couple of years of first meeting and, uh, and lived there in, um, Bakersfield, California, where both of our children were, were born, uh, and, and spent some good years there, uh, in California. I was transferred to, uh, Ventura, which is on the coast, um, uh, during that time period. Um, but in those uh, roughly a little over 10 years, 11 years of living in California as a, in a, with our family, uh, I was fortunate to be able to serve in, in several different kinds of church-related leadership roles, both within the congregation and within the district and even within the uh, stake uh, that the Ventura Congregation was connected with uh, in that time. Uh, and included in those roles were serving as pastor in both Bakersfield and Ventura. Uh, and uh, those were also very formative experiences, both good and bad. Um, certainly began to understand the challenges that um, bivocational pastors have um, serving in their congregations. Um, but in 1992, um, uh the oil company transferred me to colorado and and that's where uh we moved to and uh i uh, continue we still live in the same house that we moved into uh in nineteen ninety two and as I mentioned before we just uh continue to enjoy being here in Colorado. nineteen
1: ninety two moved out to Colorado along the front range of the Rocky mountains so david you Shared that you were ordained first as a teen, tell us a little bit about your first office, and then by the time you get to Rocky Mountain, um, what office did you hold at that point? Kind of fill us in there.
2: Uh, well, as a teen, I was um, ordained to the office of priest. Uh, that was my first um, um, priesthood office that I served in, and uh, I had a very good Mentors in in those roles, and um, in in the 1970s, we were heavily focused. We, meaning the ironic priesthood ministers, were heavily focused on home ministry. So I uh, had an opportunity to to learn or to uh, tag along with experienced uh, ministers who had done home visiting um, quite a bit, and. Uh, so that was my experience as a teen is really trying to understand um, the dynamics of, of visiting people in their homes. And, you know, here it is, this teenager that kind of shows up at someone's mm-hmm. house and, uh, with, with, you know, a, um, a more experienced minister. Uh, but those were very formative times for me, uh, visiting with people and oftentimes with uh, families that were um, just marginally connected with our congregation in fact that was the bulk of the people that we visited um and and that was a very uh, enlightening experience for me to see how faith um influences some families lives and how it plays quite a different role in some other families lives and uh, uh that was that was an interesting journey for me when I look back upon being a teenager and being invited to be part of this home ministry team. So that was that was my experience there growing up in Hawaii uh, as a young priesthood member. Uh, when I went to college, uh, I, I didn't spend nearly as much time focused on ministerial roles and duties, but um, I still was connected with the uh, the Upland, California congregation, and uh, had some very good um, experiences there as well. Uh, but it wasn't until after I graduated from college and and then moved uh, to Bakersfield and, and was married there and um, called to the office of elder uh, then. And uh, Bakersfield in, in the uh, 80s was an exciting time because we we're in the middle of a building program so
1: experience <laughs>
2: experienced what it meant to fundraise and to face uh, all of the challenges of, of uh, what it meant to to be engaged in an exciting new project like that and and see the excitement of of um, you know a community and, and building a new church and and uh, there was it, it was a good time we had several young Adult families that were connected with that congregation at the time, and Pam and I were certainly part of that group. Uh, and so when the church was finally built and we had the consecration service, uh, that was also the same time that I was uh, set apart to be the pastor. So, wow, that, that was an interesting journey as well, being a brand new young pastor in um, a brand-new, nice facility um, that had been uh, looked forward to by the older folks for decades. And um, unfortunately, it didn't go as nearly as well as I hoped it would have gone, but that, again, was a very learning experience for me um, uh, in in my journey in, in ministry. Uh, and almost sometimes I even refer to it as being saved. <laughs> for to Ventura, um, uh, which is about a hundred miles away from Bakersfield. Uh, because I think I wrestled a lot with serving as this young pastor and not seeing things develop as, as I had hoped and as many other people had hoped. Um, I know our, our consecration service, the numbers, I think are still pretty accurate, even though it's been many years ago, but I think we had 130 people there, uh, on our constant during our consecration service. And after the first year or so, we're back down to our 30 or 35. Oh, my. Um, I think I took it very per too personally, really mm-hmm. I look at it now, but uh, that I struggled with that and, and felt like um, a lot of that journey was due to my, uh, Lack of proper leadership or ministry, and so oftentimes I re- I reflect I have reflected back on um, being transferred uh, with the oil company to Ventura as being sort of a, a pause or a rest, and and uh, uh, um, as life would turn out though, within a year of being there in Ventura, um, I was asked to serve in leadership roles in that congregation. <laughs> Uh, and, and not only as the, the, um, pastor for that group or presiding elders, what we called those roles and stakes in those days, but also to serve on the stake high council, um, in the Los Angeles area. And that also was a very formative experience for me. Um, um, meeting regularly with some very experienced seasoned ministers, um, and, and, uh, uh, we addressed some very interesting questions as well on, on what was appropriate for the stake and what was not appropriate, uh, for the stake, including whether or not this, 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 um, is, I think it's still a question for today, but even here in the, um, early 1990s, the question was, is it appropriate for youth leaders to provide condoms for wow (laughs) attending um, youth (laughs) events because um uh you know there there was um an acknowledgement that some inappropriate activities were happening every so often and that was a very interesting conversation that i um, got to participate in uh and those types of questions i guess also have been very formative for me to understand that life is Challenging at times and, um, uh, being a leader in faith communities creates a lot of difficult issues that don't have clear answers to. Um, so that, that was, uh, my experience there in California and then, then, um, also being transferred once again with the oil company, which seemed to have been, um, the mode for people working for in the oil industry, being transferred to Colorado. Um, was also um, a, a very significant shift for me as well, um, being in a new state, in a completely new area. Um, but then again, the, once, once again, not then again, but once again, the church family, extended family, welcomed us into the Colorado area. Um, and that was a very good experience uh, as well. And uh, then... Um, within a couple of years, I was asked to serve as pastor there in the Denver congregation. Um, and, and that's what I ended up doing um, for a few years.
1: So, when were you called to serve as a high priest bishop, which is your current office?
2: Yeah, so I was, um, it, while in California, I was serving in the stake high council. So, I was a high priest called to the office of high priest then. Uh, while I was um, in, Denver, I, I served on the High Council for the Denver Stake as well, while that stake still existed. Um, but my current priesthood office, which is the office of bishop, really did not take place until um, I entered full-time ministry uh, in 1996. Um, so that was that journey there. And, and I've been officially, uh, even though I've had a lot of different roles, um, my official priesthood um office is the office of bishop.
1: Tell us about your journey to full-time ministry and community of Christ. What, What brought you to that point in your life? And as you say, you've held the office of bishop for a while now, but served in many different roles over the years. Take us down that part of your path.
2: Well, by the time, um, I was, we were in, in, moved to Colorado, I was approaching my, um, you know, mid thirties and, and I don't think it's too unusual for people that have been in a career for over 10 years to begin reflecting, you know, what is, uh, the career path journey. And by the time I was in my mid thirties, I was pretty certain that working in the oil industry was not something that I wanted to do uh, for the next 20 plus years, uh, working career. And I think that led me into some soul searching to really begin to evaluate what was most important in my life and, um, what was not as important in my life. Uh, and, um, even though the, the, um, question of working full-time as as an appointee uh, for our church had come up on a couple of occasions um, I thought well you know um, I am serving as pastor and involved in my church leadership roles uh, in the stakes that uh, I'm connected with I, I think I'm d- I'm doing my duty so to speak to serve in my ministerial roles um, so that really I have to be honest I that really wasn't part of my soul-searching, it was more what career, you know, what besides working for the oil industry uh, would I be interested in doing or would feel fulfilling? And, and and as I mentioned, I was already serving as the pastor of the Denver Congregation at that time. But in 1996, um, the state bishop, second region bishop, who was Orville Fisher at the time, was called to serve in the presiding bishopric. And it was also in that time when then um, President Grant McMurray shared um, what later was to be called Section 161 of the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, which is something to the effect of fix your eyes on the place beyond the horizon to which you are sent. Journey and trust assured that the great and marvelous work is for this time and for all time. And I think that struck me, those words struck me um, to really begin focusing on what was most important in my life in connection with faith life. And then when um, um, I was invited to to apply to fill Orville's role, um, and Orville kind of called me a, a, about it, and I had a good relationship with Orville, so... Um, that also led me to, to really understand the timing and the people that ask people to do something or consider something, <laughs> all the difference in the world. And so in, in, in conjunction with hearing these words of inspiration, being a time in my life when I was soul searching, um, being asked by a good friend to consider doing something, and and recognizing that perhaps this was all coming together at the same time at a good time um, uh, led me to to um, uh, apply and, and be ultimately be appointed as a stake and region bishop uh, for the Denver Stake and for the West Central States region. Um, and so that's how I began uh, serving full time in full time ministry with our church. Uh, and I was called to the office of bishop within a year of being uh, um a full-time minister. And when I referred to the different roles that I've had, um, uh, when mission centers were formed in the early 2000s, I began serving as a single-line administrator, uh, which was the mission center president and financial officer of the Rocky Mountain Mission Center and served in that role for uh, several years and then um, uh, a few years later began serving in as, as an apostolic assistant for um, Dale Luffman in the um, I can't even remember what field that was called but West Central <laughs> yes West West Central I guess but it was from Colorado going east so I didn't have to move um, which was also very nice as well and served in that role for several years and um then when it became the Western field with um, both Apostle Scott Murphy and then later also Ron Harmon, it was Colorado West. So I, once again, I didn't have to move. Um, uh, and then I was had the great opportunity to serve for a year um, uh, with, um, you know, in, in Asia. Um, uh, and that was. A great experience as well, and in my time with Apostle Andrew Bolton, as we traveled throughout all Asia and um, um, began to see the life of community of Christ outside of the United States context was also very important. And so, unfortunately, things didn't just the way things panned out. I only was able to serve in that area for a year um, before being. Assigned back to the USA as the bishop for the USA fields uh, three and a half years ago. And that's what I that's been my assignment uh, up until now.
1: And now you find yourself moving into the role of apostle. Tell us about experiencing um, the call to the office of apostle. What happened And, of course, listeners always want to know the whole story.
2: (laughs) Well, my my call to apostolic witness was somewhat of a surprise. Uh, And and I say that because of the many other roles that I served before. I guess I had not made the direct connection, even as I served as an apostolic assistant, that uh, serving the role of a um you know all the key apostolic witness person um um just was somewhat of a surprise and, and in addition to that um and and I this has been confirmed by someone who knows i think that i will be the oldest person entering the council of 12 um which is also kind of interesting uh and and something for me to reflect on and uh, so when President Steve Veazey talked to me about this call. Um, I really took pause. Uh, you know, I knew I wouldn't say no. Um, I had said no to a couple of uh, invitations by the church before. Um, but I knew I wouldn't say no t- to this invitation. But I did need to ponder what does it mean to say yes, which for me are very different Um responses Um, and so I needed to ponder that a bit Um, and so as I reflected on what this all meant both you know as a surprise being somewhat of a surprise feeling a little old um, just wondering what this might mean I once again turned to my life partner Pam who often gives me invaluable feedback many times not appreciated but nonetheless very wise feedback that she gave gives and uh, when I was talking to her about it her reflection was well it's no surprise to me and it's amazing how just some quick short um, response or reflection can mean a lot and I've had other people um, um, since then um, since my call has been made public also Share similar kinds of things with me, and and basically have reminded me that Dave, your my journey has been one of um, understanding the Western world context of Christianity in today's world, understanding where Community of Christ's journey has um, evolved over the decades, and my understanding or focus and desire to, to um, uphold holistic discipleship and um, my desire to see justice in the world um, proclaim my, my desire to see conversation, healthy conversation um, uh, experienced by people and safe conversations experienced by people, all of that, was a part of apostolic witness, was a part of something that uh was important for not only our church, but for our our world to to uphold and to experience and to promote and to proclaim. And that was the proclamation of Christ. And as I begin to reflect on my personal journey as well as the journey uh, of our faith movement, as well as what I see as the needs in the immediate as well as longer future, uh, I began to to understand that my answer certainly was a big yes. And uh, and that was helpful. Now, that all happened in a relatively short period of time, but yet for, in my mind and my heart, that was a very important journey for me to have.
1: Picking up on the question that you posed to yourself, what does it mean to say yes, what does it mean to say yes on the precipice? I mean, you're already launching into it, this unfolding of a new chapter in your ongoing adventure with God. How, What does it mean saying yes, and how is that changing things for you?
2: Well, I think... Uh, my, my experiences have, have told me that launching into something new always begins with not knowing what I don't know. And so, um, I, I freely admit I don't know what I don't know. I, but I'm launching into this with faith, uh, that, um, I will have what I need at the time. And I'm surrounded by wonderful, uh, um, people that will walk alongside me, me and help me, um, in this journey. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward with hope and possibilities in the future. Um, I've been privileged to, to, um, work with many of the people that I will continue working with, um, uh, in this new role. And, and I've had the opportunity to develop some pretty good relationships with people uh that I will continue to work with. And so that has been very helpful helpful for me to reflect upon or to rely upon as I launch into um, this new phase of ministry and and um responsibility focus. Uh, so I think I'm in a pretty good space of transition right now. Um, and um I, I I'm very optimistic that what I don't have on my toolbox or in my experience um, that others will help me um, receive what I do need to have. And I'm also looking forward to, to um, being more directly involved in um, field ministries and field leaders. Uh, in the last three and a half years, um, I've had the opportunity to work with a wonderful, amazing field support ministry team. Um, that have had a lot of direct input with uh, uh, field ministers. But I've somewhat been one step removed, I think, from that direct contact. And I'm foreseeing that in my new role as an apostle, I'll I'll once again be more directly involved in the um, ongoing ministries and activities uh, within the field. And I'm looking forward to that.
1: Well, I certainly have seen in you, Dave, this uh, infused sense of uh, excitement that I can see it on your face. Ever since uh, you accepted your call and having known you for a long time and worked beside you many years, I, I am a witness of the joy that you get out of that in the field ministry with people and being directly engaged in this ongoing adventure of life uh, in a way that sometimes the other things you've been called to do, as you say, kind of put you one step back from that. So that that is indeed a, a great joy and a opportunity for possibility. <laughs> Dave, as we talk about possibilities, share a little bit about what your hopes for the future are and how you see God moving in the world, in ways that connect with community of Christ and God's invitation, um, God's invitation, as we understand it today, to boldly follow into the heart of God's vision—not just for us, but for all creation.
2: Well, what I think what has sustained me through all these decades of of um, working in ministry is that I have seen and, and witnessed very humble, authentic people trying to do their best to serve God. And because of that, I just have a great deal of hope that it doesn't take the most charismatic um, people to move the mission of Christ forward. It takes humble, dedicated people with a wide variety of skills or, or perhaps sometimes deficient in skills, but yet it's the their authentic willingness to serve. And I've been fortunate to to work side by side with a wide range of people, some that are very, very talented and some that um you know are are struggling and yet there are they are authentically trying to serve. And so for me, when I describe holistic uh discipleship, uh it, it involves Qualities of humility, humility, compassion, hospitality, and generosity, and I have been fortunate to see many people that have those attributes in their life of service, and I see that in community of Christ time and time again. And so, when I look forward towards, when I look towards the future and see or try to understand the needs of a very. Um, we filled world and, and sometimes it seems like it's becoming worse mm-hmm. um, where where life is seen as such a binary. You're either this side of a line or that side of a line. Um, you know, you're either part of this group or that group. And if you're not part of our group, then you have much less work. Well, I, I don't think that's the message of Christ. I think the message of Christ is to expand the circle. Not to, not to make the, the circle smaller and smaller. And so when I look forward towards the future, I have hope in knowing that I works, I will be working side by side with people, uh, that are truly and authentically trying to live out discipleship, widen the circle of invitation and hospitality. And, and I think that is what it's going to take. To he- provide healing to a fractured world, a fractured society, and uh, I think community of Christ is well positioned to do that. We are a small denomination, yet we are a worldwide and very diverse group. Um, and even here in the United States, we have a wide spectrum of of perspectives from people that are actively involved in the life of our church. And I don't see that as a negative. I see that as hopeful and as a positive. And I see um, great potential in being part of a, this small movement that continues to lift up a voice of diversity um, as, as a, a necessary ingredient in living in peace. And so I continue to think and feel and believe that our voice is one that continues to be needed in the world. Now, we're not, certainly not alone in speaking this, but yet we are a faith movement that has been on a journey um, that has uh, upheld the worth of all persons and to lift up the call that all people are called. And I think these are imperatives for the future of, a world that lives uh, in God's reign. And I'm just, I am thrilled to be a part of that. Regardless of what my individual or personal call, i mm-hmm. I'm thrilled to be a part of a movement that struggles and wrestles with very difficult issues by very humble uh, people with a wide spectrum of gifts and talents, but yet they are authentically trying to serve God. And I am just thrilled to be a part of that movement.
1: Well, your apostolic witness certainly sounds with clarity through the words you share with us just now, Dave. I'm also hearing echoes of something that you're participating in now. Um, You're part of the core team for Discover and Live Your Future, which I would say is a congregational revitalization program in some regards. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes, I, um, even before uh, knowing about my new calling here, um, I was becoming involved with um, uh, the Discover and Live Your Future retreats that are being put on, um, led by um, uh, President, of 70, President of 70, Larry McGuire, and uh, Apostle Ron Harmon. Um, but really, those retreats are part of a bigger endeavor, uh, as you mentioned, you know, what does it mean to be a revitalized uh, Christian community? And, and at the core of um, those retreats is the mission prayer. Uh, God, where will your spirit lead us today? Um, so being open to the spirit and then be aware of where God is alive and already working within us and amongst us and calling us to go into the future. Um, but not just personally, but to also be willing to risk uh, in community where God's spirit may be leading us. Um, because with a surety, um, when we are willing to be aware and we are willing to risk, that we will begin to fulfill our invitation to be a blessing to all of creation. And so that's one of the... Um, uh, areas of ministerial focus that um, several of us will be involved with inviting congregations particularly in the United States at this point, um, to be a uh, journey along with us in this in this uh, discovery of what it means to be awakened by God's spirit in new ways then being willing to risk um, doing something new, doing something different, than perhaps what we are already familiar with, and with the expectation that as we do so, we will be blessed and and all of creation, others will be blessed as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to continuing that work as well.
1: It certainly does sound exciting and full of opportunity and possibility. You talked about awakened to God's spirit, being open to God's spirit, Dave, how do you nurture your relationship with God?
2: One of the things I discovered, uh, or uh, decided—I don't, I'm not quite sure what the right term is—but um, a long time ago—is that uh, the value of busyness is vastly overrated, and I intentionally try to catch myself from. Um, upholding the value of being busy so in other words when whenever um, anyone asks how are you how are you doing you know I almost never say well busy um, which is a common way people respond to that question how are you doing and one of the reasons why I've come to that um, position is because For me, and I suspect it may be true for others as well, being busy sometimes puts up barriers to God's nudging. And so for me, intentionally trying not to uphold the value of busyness allows me to pause and not feel guilty about pausing, to deeply breathe, to share prayers of gratitude. to to be able to smile upon the blessings of life that I do have and to be able to laugh at all the crazy things that um, I end up doing, um, the missteps, Um, just being willing to pause and to recognize that busyness in and of itself is really overrated. It's it's not a value. So I I enjoy being willing to pause. So uh, one of my favorite hobbies, so to speak, now is just walking. Walking on trails, there are a lot of trails in Colorado, or even open spaces, or even walking around my neighborhood, just being willing to pause and take life at a little slower pace. Um, because in my best moments, I think when I am willing to pause and be fully awake and aware to what's going around on around me, um, God always shows up funny how that works. And, and really, the reality is God's always there. It's just a matter of me being willing to be awake and aware. And so for me, being willing, intentionally trying to be non-busyness focused uh, allows me to, to grow in my understanding and uh, receiving of God's spirit and, and God's insight uh, and God's nudging and, and then kind of a corollary to that is what I've also discovered that brings a lot of joy in my life is when I have opportunities to walk alongside others who, who are pausing and are opening themselves to also, um, be aware and awake of God moving in their lives, um, and, and for me, those types of experiences brings the reality of God's brain very tangibly present. There's, there's flesh and bones to the um, insights that God has when we're, when I'm able to walk with others that are on this journey of awareness and being awake and being sense, sensing a call to, to risk. Um, and, and because of that, not only ourselves, but others are blessed. So for me, that's those have become very key parts of my uh, journey with God is trying to be very intentional to to pause.
1: Thank you, Dave, for sharing that with us. Is there anything else that you would like to share today that I haven't asked you about?
2: Well um I think this upcoming world conference will will have some very interesting responses and and i I suspect many people that are going to world conference may not be fully um, uh, prepared for uh, what our next few years may look like, but as I reflect on our immediate challenges as community of Christ in the coming years, I think. And this goes back to my understanding of my sense of call in this time, uh, in these circumstances. I think I have great hope and, and, and expectation that when we are on the other side of whatever hurdles or challenges, uh, that we, we may believe we have or, or truly do have, um, that I have great hope in all those that will be um, following along in this journey. So another part of my great hope is that I will be able to help and to walk alongside many others who do not feel like they're old <laughs> as they are <laughs> responding to new calls uh, in their journeys as well because I have um, great hope in, in what's in store on the other side of whatever challenge we may be facing. And so I'm looking forward, even though there's some hesitation um, on because of some of the challenges I'm aware of uh, that's facing our denomination, um, I'm very hopeful for what's on the other side. And I'm glad I, I can be a part in this time, in these moments, to help um, shape and to nurture the culture that will grow into the 21st century.
1: Thank you so much, Dave. And I know many, many, many people across the church join me in saying thank you for saying yes to this new call. We know that you will be a vehicle of blessing and continue to be God's presence in the world wherever you find yourself in the next several years. And I want to thank you, Dave, for making time today in your busy schedule, that word busy. Thank you for pressing pause and spending some time with us. Right. It's been wonderful to hear your story. Well, listeners, thank you for being with us today. If you would like to hear more from David Nee, check out our Project Zion podcast episodes number 141, Simplicity. So others may simply live, as well as episode 154, when Dave shares around the topic the restoration in the 21st century. This is your host, Robin Linkart, and you are listening to Project Zion Podcast. Go out and make the world a better place. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye bye. <music>
0: Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.